Welcome to Make Me Your Voice with Pastor David Bartowell. These messages are intended to deepen your faith and trust in a living God who speaks to us with hope and reason. Today's message comes to us from the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. As we wait for Jesus to return, have you ever waited for someone to return hoping they'd show up? One time when I was in grade school and it was raining, my mom always said, okay, I'll meet you out front at this spot, so just wait there. And that day it was raining and I was concerned. My mom didn't show up at the time she said she was going to show up and obviously she had been held up in traffic. But sure enough, around the corner comes my mom in her green station wagon to take me home. I think about how for almost 2,000 years, the church has been waiting for Jesus Christ to return. And he's not going to come in a green station wagon. He's going to come on a white horse. Even the Apostle Paul had to remind the Corinthian church, hey, Jesus has not come back yet. And during the time of the Apostle Paul, they actually were thinking he would come back during that time. The problem with waiting for someone is that we become complacent. We become faithless. We fall away. We forget that everything God says has or will come true. And when Jesus says, I'm coming soon, he wasn't joking. You know, 2,000 years to God is nothing. And here we are on this earth. Jesus could come back today, this week, anytime. So we have to live with that hope. We have to live in that faith. Today is Defending the Faith, Part 5, When Jesus Comes. Jude's letter to the church is about false teachers who had infiltrated their evil shepherds. They're in it for themselves. They're like hidden reefs trying to capsize the ship and take everyone with them. They're shepherds who have gone, as Jude says, the way of Cain, which is the way of evil. They're false prophets like Balaam, who was paid off by a pagan king to curse Israel. They're like Korah, who rebelled against God's leaders, Moses and Aaron. They're like waterless clouds, Jude says, filled with empty words who blow aimlessly in the wind. They're twice dead trees. They're not only physically dead, they're spiritually dead. Their deeds are wicked. They're fruitless, and they are spiritually dead, ungodly, sentenced to judgment. Avoid such people, and don't be one of them. Jude's church was asleep and needed to wake up to the danger, but God never sleeps. He will take vengeance against those who persecute and harm his children. Jesus said this, if anyone causes one of these little ones those who believe in me, to stumble. It would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Whenever God's children are taken advantage of and persecuted, God remembers that. Jude defends the faith that was handed down to him by standing up for Jesus and for his church. You can't love Jesus and not love his church. I'm sorry to tell you that. It's his body. How can you not love his body? As I stated when we began this sermon series, 
Jude referenced people and events that are not referenced in other canonical books. And today he references a book called the Book of Enoch. The Book of Enoch is an ancient Hebrew apocalyptic religious text. We might not know of it, but Jude's audience knew of it. So he quoted directly from it. Who was Enoch? Enoch was the great-grandfather of Noah. He was a direct descendant of Adam. He also is interesting in that he is a type of Christian. What I mean is a type is someone or something that is historically a part of the Old Testament, but it foreshadows something or someone in the New Testament. So who does Enoch prefigure? Well, look at this. Genesis 5. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God, and then he was no more because God took him away. What happened to Enoch? God took him out of the earth, out of the world. He didn't experience physical death. What's that a picture of? The rapture. Who's the other one in the Old Testament that was taken out like a whirlwind? Elijah. Both Enoch and Elijah didn't experience physical death. They were just transported to heaven. Wouldn't that be awesome? There was a song by Rich Mullins. Rich Mullins was a Christian singer. He uh, wrote some incredible songs like Awesome God. But he wrote this one song. The lyrics were, when I leave, I want to go out like Elijah. And it was a prophetic song, actually, because at the age of 41, while en route to a benefit concert, Rich Mullins lost control of his Jeep. He was thrown out into the air like a whirlwind, was hit by a truck, and went to be with Jesus. The scripture tells us that the rapture will take place before Jesus comes again to this earth to judge. Therefore, some will not experience death. I would love to be a part of that group. Just taken up like a whirlwind, taken out to be with Jesus. But then Jesus comes back a second time, and he will judge. He will judge an unbelieving world. Everything will be made right. He will take vengeance on behalf of his people. So let's go through this letter and find out about when Jesus comes. When Jesus comes, he will come with his angels. The heavenly hosts will accompany him. Jude writes, And Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied about them, Look, the Lord comes with thousands of his holy ones. So he's talking about these evil shepherds, and he's using the book of Enoch, which is interesting, to say that he spoke about these type of people, these ungodly people. He quotes directly from the book of Enoch, chapter 1, verse 9. But he makes one change. He changes the reference to God that Enoch wrote to Christ by using the word kurios, which is the Lord. And Jude, what he's doing, he's correlating and matching what other New Testament writers spoke of Jesus, that he's the Lord. And when they said that, it wasn't like he was just in charge or the boss. They were actually saying that he is Yahweh, the God who is. Look what Jesus says in the gospel according to John. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son 
does not honor the Father who sent him. That's interesting. Who was Jude again? Remember, he was Jesus' half-brother, right? He grew up in Jesus' home with Mary and played with Jesus. He knew Jesus probably closer than anybody growing up. But Jude did not believe in Jesus. It wasn't until after Jesus rose from the dead that Jude believed in Jesus Christ as Lord. So it doesn't matter if you grow up in a home where the entire family knows Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, you're as far away as any other unbeliever. It doesn't matter if you hang out with other believers. If you're not a believer, you have dishonored God's Son, and therefore you have dishonored God the Father. See, Jesus is coming in judgment, and he's bringing his angels with him, and he's bringing his church with him. He says, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. Next, when Jesus comes, he will come to execute judgment. See, the first time he came, he came to save us. The next time he comes, he's coming to judge the world. So, Jude continues his quote from Enoch 1.9, and it says, The Lord comes to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. How many times does Jude use the word ungodly? Four. Actually, five times in the entire letter. And the word ungodly, asebes in Greek, literally means without worship. So these people are ungodly because they do not worship the one true God. And no one can honor God without honoring Jesus. And Jude is referring these ungodly characteristics to the false teachers and shepherds in the church. Why are they ungodly? Well, back in verse 4, Jude writes, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly people who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness, and here's the key, and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Imagine, these people were standing as Christian leaders in this church, yet were denying Jesus Christ as Lord. How does that happen? It happens. That's the very astonishing thing. Just as someone stands up and teaches from a pulpit on Sunday morning, doesn't mean necessarily he is worshiping Jesus Christ as Lord. He can be a false prophet. He can be a deceiver. He can be someone who has taken advantage of God's children for his own selfish ego and gain. You avoid such people. You avoid such teachers. You know, I've witnessed to many people about Christ. And sometimes they'll say, I believe in God, but I don't believe in Jesus Christ. Well, you know what? They're an unbeliever. Because you can't believe in God, the Father, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, His Son. And sadly, many leaders, 
entire denominations, think about this. What has happened over the last 20 years? Entire denominations have split over denying that Jesus is Lord. Some want to go this way, and they want to take people with them. And then there's a fight. There's a battle for the sake of the gospel. I mean, it's one thing to know, yes, they're ungodly people that live in the world, but it's another thing to realize that there are ungodly people who live in the church. Now, notice the characteristics of God's judgment in this verse. First of all, he comes to judge all. All. So what is all? Everyone. You know what? This is an important thing I'm going to say. Jesus Christ will judge believers. What? What do you mean he'll judge believers? Well, here's a caveat. He's not going to judge believers according to their sin because the believer is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. He's as white as snow. But Jesus says, I will come and judge everyone. So what will we be judged for as a believer? As a believer, we will be judged according to how we managed God's resources. Do you realize that nothing that you have in your possession is yours? How did you come into this world? Did you bring anything? No. How are you going to go out? Are you going to take anything? No. Everything has been given to you on loan. And Jesus Christ will come to repay according to your faithfulness. Look what he says in Revelation twenty-two, twelve. Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense, which is my compensation with me, to repay each one for what he has done. Isn't being compensated awesome? Depends. Are you in the black or the red, so to speak? Because you will be paid and recompensed according to your service. So if you live one way on Sunday and the rest of the days you live ungodly as an ungodly person, does God know this? He's not going to condemn you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But it is a serious matter that God will repay according to our faithfulness. Secondly, he says he comes to convict all the ungodly for all their ungodly deeds, which they've done in an ungodly way. So as a believer, like I said, you're not under condemnation. But we should take heed to these words because how we live matters. What we tend to do as believers, we compartmentalize things, right? So we live one way on Sunday, and then the other days we live another way. But God has records of all our days. He knows the amount of hair we have on our head. And every time we share the gospel, when we don't feel like sharing the gospel, he remembers that. Every time you show love to someone who's unlovely, he remembers that. Every time you help someone who's in need in the name of Christ, he remembers that. Every time you sacrifice, because it's all a sacrifice. Everything you do for God is a sacrifice. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. 
Your inclination is to do what you want. Every time you sacrifice your desire, your want to do something for God, he remembers it and you will be rewarded. But this thing about this is who I am on Sunday and this is who I am the rest of the day ain't going to fly, especially post-COVID, ladies and gentlemen. People are going to look at the church and they're going to see how do we respond? Are we going to go back to the way it was? I hope not. I hope there's a resurgence of the Spirit of God that brings an incredible harvest to this world. God will judge our life. He will judge our service. And he will judge our words. Look, it says, And all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So Jude, what he's saying is that these shepherds, so-called shepherds in the church, are ungodly, not only in what they do, how they live, but in what they say. I've had conversations. You know, you meet people and you, whatever, you talk to them and inevitably gets to the point where, uh, what do you do? I ask, what do you do? Hey, what do you do? I go, I'm a pastor. You should see the look in their face because they have just told me very ungodly things. (laughs) They have used the Lord's name in vain. And they think they're done. Like, that's it. (laughs) You know, I'm over. I kind of laugh it off. But God knows even our words before we say them. And so he will judge our words. Now, please remember, if you're covered with the blood of Christ, if you're a believer and you have placed your faith in Christ and you worship him as Lord, you've confessed him as Lord, listen. You're going to say things you regret. I say things I regret. Thank God we're not going to be held accountable. But our words matter. You know, James writes about the tongue is like a spark that lights a fire. And Jesus says this, Whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. What you have whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all to hear. Now listen, he was speaking to these religious hypocrites. And I can't help but think about people in our government who think that, oh, I'm behind closed doors. I can say what I want. No, everything will come in the light. And if that person has not repented and placed their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're going to have to try and defend their words. Good luck with that. That verse that Jesus says, I use it a lot right now. It should be very comforting to me and to believers who have been maligned, who have been mocked, who have been canceled and judged by ungodly people, hypocrites, deniers of the faith, everything will come into the light. That's why in Revelation, the souls under the altar cry out, How long, O Lord, will you allow this to happen? How long, O Lord, will you allow these ungodly, unbelieving pagan to blaspheme you to continue to just speak like that and act like that and and do those things. One day, it'll all be made right. The scales will be balanced. And as Jude continues, these people are grumblers, complainers, living only to satisfy their desires. They brag loudly about themselves. They flatter others to get what they want. Doesn't that sound like a commentary on our world and culture today? It's sickening how far people will go to keep their position of power. 
Just ask the Pharisees, who looked really good on the outside, are dead in the inside. Come alive in Christ. He's your Savior. Now, according to the Bible, everyone has a record. Every deed, every word is in God's books. Now, thank God, our record is washed clean by the blood of Christ. The only way that you can have your record cleaned is that it becomes red with Christ's blood. And then on Judgment Day, there's only one get-out-of-jail-free card that'll work, and his name is Jesus. And that's why when Jesus comes, every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. It doesn't say every knee might bow according to their free will. No, you know what? God has given us free will, but at some point, people will see and they will bow. Here's the problem. You can bow now in worship and love or bow later in condemnation and judgment. Choose the first. Bow now. Look, Paul writes this in Philippians. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Those who are in heaven, on earth, under earth, everybody, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, because it's all about Jesus. At the name of Jesus, you know what his name is? Lord, Yahweh. Every knee will bow because Jesus is God. Don't wait until it's too late. Do it now. Jesus is coming and he's calling your name. He's saying, come to me. He's saying, stop believing in what you think is true. I'm truth. I'm the way. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way. Like there's no other name, there's no other way. So I want to do something and I want you to do it. I'm going to get on my knees. I want you to get on your knees, and I want you to pray with me on our knees in worship and confession to Jesus Christ as Lord. So let's get on our knees, and wherever you are, I invite you to bow your heart, because this posture is one of humility. Bring your life to the foot of the cross, and bow before Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, I love you. I love you more than anything. I know I haven't lived like that. I know I haven't acted like that. I know I haven't even thought like that. But it's true. And the fact that I can bow before you and and admit and confess these things and not be judged and condemned is grace. In fact, you say, if you confess your sins, I am faithful to forgive you. In this moment, confess your sins. I'm going to be silent for a few seconds and talk to God.
let this grace of God flow over you. If you're feeling condemned, that's not from God. If you feel convicted, that's a good thing. It leads you out of where you were to where God wants you to be. Maybe you need to confess to somebody else. You know, the Bible says, confess your sins to one another and you'll be healed. And maybe you've got some things that you need to deal with and allow God to deal with. And maybe that involves another person. But the main thing about this, what I want is that every knee will bow. But we're bowing now because we love Jesus, because He is Lord. He is Yahweh. He is the God who is. He's the God who was and is and is to come, and He's coming soon. And thank you, Lord, that you're coming to repay us for our faithfulness. May we come out of this time in Egypt with different eyes, eyes of faith, a different heart, a heart of love and gratitude, different mind, one that submits to your will. Lord, make us different. Cause us to be different. Cause this church and the church in in America and in the world, Lord, to rise up in faith and not shrink in fear. We are sorry. Lord, I am sorry that I have even felt fear over faith. There's nothing to fear. In fact, Jesus said the only thing we should fear is God. So, Lord, thank you so much that we can bow on our knees in different locations, but know that we're connected by the Spirit of God, that our prayers are like incense, and you are hearing these prayers, and you are answering our prayers. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Pastor David Bartowell's message reminds us that God speaks to us with hope and reason so that we can be His voice in this world. Please join us again for Make Me Your Voice, a ministry of the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We would love to have you join us for a Sunday service. For more information or to find our location, please visit thegatecbc.com. Make me your voice.